Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, despite me yelling that into my microphone. My name is Brendan Bigley. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. Secaucus, Chicago Deep Dish. <laughs> I'm filling you, in. Yeah, you got it. You Wow, you nailed it. You got it in one. That's the vibe. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Chris Plant. Steven, it should be noted, is out this week. Uh, he is currently at a wedding in the family. Very excited for him. Hope he's having a great time. By the time he's hearing this, he will be back. And I hope he had a great time. Shout out to you, Stephen. This is a question just for Stephen, because I assume he's, he's listening now. How much time did you spend engaged in the wedding? And how much time did you spend on a toilet playing Marvel Snap? Because <laughs> it's a great way of avoiding having to be around a lot of people. Because I know how much time I would spend and it would not be good for my tum-tum. You are, I, I mentioned this last week on the show, that I felt a little bit before the game came out, like Paul Revere running mm. through the streets, yelling at people like, beware, Marvel Snap is coming. It's going to be a big deal. You did message me immediately when the game came out and you were like, yeah, this is this is pretty problematic. You've been sending me screenshots of decks. You're like <laughs> in, man. I And I, I I'm feel indie. it. I, I'm, I just want to say this because, look, last week we talked about the show extensively. Like we had a much longer segment on 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 that game than I was really expecting. I want to be clear, despite my, you know, I work for Marvel, et cetera, et cetera. The, the disclaimer I do all the time. <laughs> I just want to be clear. It is still a free to play mobile game. There are still microtransactions in it. Steven and I were actually talking about this a lot. Uh, the other day of like there are a lot of things that they do that i think are spectacular in terms of the way they monetize that game i don't like that there's like a 99 dollar button that you could press <laughs> like i don't like that there's a button you could press it's like you could just give me a hundred dollars i feel like that button i just want to go away in like all mobile games in general i feel like that's that's a problem but everything else that marvel snap does is like surprisingly lenient in the way that they're giving you things uh and on top of that the game like rips it's so good the 99 dollars button feels like the compromise between the studio head and like the money people mm. right where they're the studio head is like we're not doing this 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 and this that was like in hearthstone <laughs> and they were like okay but we gotta have that 99 dollars button you don't know how many four-year-olds are out here spamming buttons just to see what they do <laughs> in an olive That's garden where we make somewhere the big yeah bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, 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 yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, it rules, but we're going to talk about that later. Well, actually, I guess we could talk about it now. It's in relation to another game. Yeah, I mean, look, you're here on the show, and the way the show works is we just kind of ebb and flow through things. So uh, we're in Marvel yeah. Snap World. Which, I'm just riding the wave. How, how are you feeling about it so far? Tell, tell me tell me about your, your, your feelings about Marvel Snap. Do you have like a history with this kind of game? Did you play Hearthstone and like Gwent and stuff? I... <sighs> So I, I played a little bit of Hearthstone. Yeah. Here's the thing about me and card games. Mm. I don't like them <laughs> because they make me think mm. and they're slow mm. and there's no action. Like if I wanted to look at paper all day, I'd get a job, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's not cool. But what's cool about Marvel Snap, what's real cool, is it is a game for literally me. Like, just me. And then I'm, mm -hmm. I, they happen to make it for other people, too. But so they've actually been in conversations with me every night when I go to sleep in my dreams. And what they're like is like, hey, we want 
a Marvel fan who really liked Marvel mm-hmm. in like the mid 1990s <laughs> and then never cared about it again. And then like tries to see most MCU movies. Maybe they're like a little little worn out on it, right? Mm. We want that. And then we also want somebody who's also that age who like really loved playing video games, especially multiplayer video games. But now their life is just uh, a pendulum of torture, um, and, you know, back and forth between obligations. Mm-hmm. And in that little brief minute in the middle each day, they would love to play a multiplayer game. But unfortunately, multiplayer games take time. Yes. So what if we made a multiplayer game that takes literally two and a half to three minutes <laughs> and we lathered it in their memories of 1990s Marvel? Because yeah. that's like, it's wild to me. The art direction, I've shown it to a lot of like younger people on my team, and they're like, what's up with that? I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is when Marvel was cool. Like, <laughs> you, get, you get all this like, you know, fresh, doughy faced Marvel. Like, back, back then, Carnage was rad. And man, it, yeah, it just, it feels like so targeted to my needs, both mm. as a, a consumer of uh, <laughs> pop culture and yeah, as somebody who I didn't realize how much I missed competitive online games mm. because I just couldn't fit them into my life. So I, I just accepted that that was, you know, not, not part of my gaming habit anymore. But this, damn, it's just, it's just waiting for me there whenever I want it. It's uh, it's an extremely solid video game. Look, if this is your first time listening to Into the Aether, if you didn't hear last week's episode, I would recommend checking that out because, again, we talked about it at length. But what I'll say about Marvel Snap very quickly is uh, it's a it's a pretty small mobile free to play card game skinned with Marvel stuff. Um, but it is by the team that made Hearthstone, essentially uh, a bunch of the key members from that team who bailed and then formed a new company. One of the most interesting things, I think, in terms of the interviews I've read about about the creation of this game is that they made it completely free of like any intellectual property at all. And they were like, even with just like blank cards with no names, we're having a blast playing this thing and then started shopping it around. And then Marvel came in and et cetera, et cetera. Here we are. But that having been said, I I think you touched on a few key aspects of why this game is like really sticking with a lot of people. And one of the reasons, like as soon as I started playing the beta, I was like, this is going to be a problem. You and I talked earlier this year about our mutual love of super auto pets which was another mm-hmm. extremely sticky mobile game that's taking like a really big idea these ideas of like auto battlers and team builders and stuff and really distilling them down into their basis elements so like anyone can get involved it's like i'm not gonna learn everything there is to know about the league of legends roster but i do know that i love turtles and i also would love to have like a little bunny hanging out with a little turtle and oh cool they synergize <laughs> yeah um, Marvel Snap like completely eviscerated any of my interest in playing Super Auto Pets because it really just I didn't realize how much Super Auto Pets was filling that exact spot that you were just describing in my life where like Super Auto Pets love that game to death. But if you're doing well, it will take a long time to complete a full run of it in a way that Marvel Snap is like you could just rip through matches so, so quickly. Yeah, I mean, literally, I, I said two and a half to three minutes. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's three, five, five minutes tops. I don't think I've ever had something go over that. Yeah, I think you have a minute per turn and there are six turns in a round, but nobody ever takes the full minute on every single minute. turn. Right, right. Or they retreat once you get good because then people yes. have that whole gambling mechanic but without real money. Yeah, it's just oh, it's so... gambling your own rank, which is such a fun idea. Yes. Yeah, the only thing that's a bummer about that is sometimes I have plays. I just want to see what they look like when they play out. 
And yes. like, I wish there was a thing where it's like, you know, yeah, they're gone. But like, hey, you and me, computer, let's just see how awesome this would look. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes, you're right. It, this would have been awesome. Yeah, um, I do. Uh, yeah. We, you, you and I are talking while there's an event going on right now, which I think is the most like unhinged I've ever seen the game in like all the months of beta testing I've done because they've been rotating these like featured locations in and out. So the way the game works is you have these three lanes. You're trying to get the most power in two of the three lanes, but each of the lanes have their own powers. So like every card here has minus two power or uh, if you play a card here it'll duplicate that card and play it again in a different lane the featured location that they rolled out this week and that they've kept in the rotation is called bar sinister which essentially means that when you put a card down in that zone it will duplicate that card and fill it with four of that same card and the things i've seen people accomplish with that by itself has been so extremely wild and is so fun to just like hop on Twitter or hop in the Discord and just see people's screenshots of like, I can't believe I did this. I've had so much fun with that. And what's so incredible about this game is like, I think that the basics of the mechanics are really solid. Like I find myself coming back and playing this game regardless of what events are happening really. But the fact that they're rolling out new locations like pretty much weekly and will devote an entire day to just making sure that you understand Mm -hmm. why that location is so cool is really really smart i think also them having so many locations i i don't think bar sinister is gonna be around for much longer because while it's been (laughs) super fun have you seen any of like the not cheats i mean it's technically following the rules but like people getting like three thousand plus per lane like that type of stuff is like oh this is broken that said I love a game that's broken. I love when I love when yes. games are not QA'd or like balanced within an inch of their life because mm. it does lead to like it feels more like, oh, people are experimenting. Like I'd rather have a game that's fun than I, this whole like push towards everything being an esport. So everything needs to be like super balanced. It just yeah, it's it's very cool for five percent of the audience. Yeah, but then like another ninety five percent loses all the fun. This is one of the things that we were talking about. The Overwatch in, problem. Yes, exactly. In relation to Overwatch Two, yeah. is like Overwatch Two feels like it's trying to take a step backwards into being for everybody again, but still has so many of the mm. trappings, even in like the menu design uh, and the way you queue for matches by like picking which role you want. It's like I don't know what role I want. I just know that I like this character, for example. Um, yeah, things like that. I think I think can hamper can hamper like play and just fun in a really in a really severe way and you're right marvel snap is in this interesting place where like the balance changes i've seen them do honestly every once in a while they'll acknowledge like this card is like super broken just by itself but i've never seen them change a location usually what they Mm -hmm. do is they'll just increase the amount uh or sorry the percentage chance of that location showing up so when for example bar sinister right now is a featured location i think that means it has like a 40 percent chance of showing up in your match uh, but eventually that's going to drop way back down. There are there are yeah. a couple locations like Ego, the living planet who plays your cards for you or uh, the world ship, which just blows up the other two locations and you only have yes. one lane. Those show up so infrequently. So when they do, they're like exhilarating. And I imagine Barge Sinister is going to be closer to probably that if I was to guess. Yeah. You you mentioned the like uh, it not having a IP on it while they designed the game. Yeah, it's well, two things. One. I think Marvel Snap is like a tremendous hit. I think it's going to make everybody like a gajillion dollars. (laughs) I think Disney Snap or Star Wars Snap is going to do like even better because I think I think the thing that you were talking about, like 
Oh, when you play uh, League of Legends or whatever else, you have to learn the characters. Mm -hmm. And here, you're right. Like, I know, I would say I probably know like 60 to 70% of the characters that I'm seeing at any given time and know them like well enough. And what's great about that is you remember them. Like, because you don't have to learn the character, you're like, oh, Carnage. Of course, Carnage eats whatever (laughs) is in front of it. Like, I, I, I instantly remember that card and I know, like, I know everything about it. And then they can change the visuals of the card because it's like, whatever, I know Carnage. I, the visual doesn't have to look the same. Star Wars, even more so than MCU, I think has that language. Like, everybody knows those characters. Mm. And then Disney is the one that I just want the most because, like, everybody knows Disney properties. Mm. I mean, let's so the Dreamlight Valley phenomenon, yes, right? Yes. Like, most people know Marvel. Most people know Star Wars. Literally everybody on the planet knows the Disney-like canon. Yeah, just, like, deeply embedded in the culture. Yeah, like, even if you don't watch that stuff, you know, like, who Simba is, right? right? Yeah. Or, like, Bambi. So, I, yeah, I, as somebody who is disgusting fan of both fan and critic of all of those brands um (laughs) i'm I'm very 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 curious to see where it goes i've been i've been having this interesting feeling uh while while looking at kind of the discourse about this game that's kind of been percolating i think for a couple years just in relation to a lot of other games i think i think overwatch 2 is actually a really good touch point for this as well just i i mentioned in our conversation about that that the the rolling out of a battle pass into overwatch 2 changes the way that people are playing Mm. that game specifically because they'll have a challenge that's like soak up you know a billion damage as a tank and suddenly you're like well i only like playing healers but i can't complete the battle pass unless i play as tank for an extended period of time even though i don't want to do that which i I think all circles back to this like looming question i've had about the idea of the ways in which we've kind of shifted monetization into making the idea of progression in a multiplayer game just about like completing these daily or weekly challenges mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. instead of just the fun of the game which I, I know is like a little bit of kind of a old man yells at cloud bit maybe but when I think about like okay why did my friends and I literally play Halo without sleeping all summer you know before the next year of school started etc cetera, etc cetera, and why am I seeing so many people saying like I love Marvel Snap but I hate that the challenges run out so quickly. Like, why am I playing then? It's like, I'm playing it because I think it's really fun. (laughs) Like, I just I just like playing the game. Well, I think it's like people have been trained to play for the progression rather than the fun, you know, like, I I think it's just like uh, it's kind of like warped our brains a little bit. But yeah, I mean, what I like about Marvel Snap so far I like that all of the things it's asking of me maybe aren't things I want to do, mm. but there are things that will maybe help me like the game more. So it's like, hey, you need to win a, win a lane with just one card is a recurring one or like use yeah. uh, level six cards this many times. And like that's I don't like playing with like large cards. It's not how mm. I, I like playing nimble in basically any genre. Um, <laughs> but with that said, it's getting me out of my comfort zone and I'm still playing mm. the game and I'm still playing the game to win. What yeah. frustrates me is like a Fortnite type of thing of like smash that like 5,000 rocks or like something that is like literally yeah. antithetical to winning and succeeding in the game. And yeah, it, it like breaks the competitive nature of the game because you're playing with randos who are like, I got to run over to this place to open this treasure chest. And it's like, yeah, but so does everybody else 
Like, that's yeah. the worst place. That's the worst thing we could do. Fortnite had, over the summer, an Indiana Jones event. I don't know I don't know if you heard about that or saw that at all, but they had an event where you could... Was like a puzzle? Yeah, they, they, they put, like, an actual Indiana Jones temple just in the middle of the map, uh, and you had to show up and, like, solve a puzzle in the area, which involved, like, running around this big zone, finding a bunch of symbols that would generate themselves every match so you couldn't, like, memorize it, and, you know, and go from one match yeah. to the next and be like, okay, I'm writing this down. You needed to do it within that match that would allow you to go in the in the temple and then you needed to solve another puzzle while you were inside of the temple which you needed to do to be able to progress this like indiana jones specific battle pass of if you course. wanted like a specific skin from him in temple of doom i was like in the i, I had just been on i'll give a shout out to eye of the duck uh which is a wonderful film podcast they they were just doing like an indiana jones event for their mm. show while this was happening so i was like oh i got i got to do this then for them and it was a nightmare. It was truly yeah. a nightmare because I'm in here trying to play this separate game that Fortnite has decided I need to be playing while everyone else is playing Fortnite. So they're all trying to shoot me before I can find all the symbols and stuff. And then I had a couple instances where I like got into the temple and then somebody else just ran up behind me because I opened the temple for them. They're like, oh, look, free kill because this person's trying to solve a puzzle. <laughs> I mean, I, I think anytime I see something like that, they're trying to accomplish something else. So like, yeah, mm. in Marvel Snap, they're trying to get you to like play differently and I, I give that example of like oh you know smash 100 rocks that's not a good version of this but for something like that i have to believe epic their long-term goal is they want you to think of fortnite not as a combat game yeah they want you to think of it as a virtual space and they're gonna keep doing things like that it's like okay y'all have to learn to like work together and i know that you're in the shooting part but like do things that aren't shooty like stop mm -hmm. caring about the shooting in the same way that they're like like hey actually you know what you don't even need to care about build anymore like yeah I, right. it almost feels like they're like trying to train the audience into being like yeah this is just a hangout place yeah i do think though the side effect of this has been training like the wider audience of people who play video games to only think like I'm investing time in this, like literally the word investing, like that, yes. that is the, the key word. I'm investing time in this so I can progress in some way, uh, which is a little bit is a little bit of a bummer. But yeah, that haven't been said. I, I think the reason Marvel Snap is so interesting is because of exactly what you brought up, because that idea of progression, the idea of the challenges and the season events that they brought up are all things that are fun to accomplish. And even when you're breaking outside of your comfort zone and saying like, as you were just saying, you know, one of the challenges like play six cost cards, that can be fun to build a whole deck just around like, how do I make this as painless as possible or as like silly as possible and just like get this challenge done because it'll be a fun, goofy time. Yeah, I've done that many times. I will say also just in having been playing this game for a while, you know, this game came out towards the end of a season. A lot of those season challenges you'll be able to accomplish like very, very, very quickly just by like playing normally uh, mm. also, which is I think I think worth keeping in mind because I think a lot of people, at least the people that I've been talking to about it who are like deeply in it already are coming to be being like, I can't believe they launched this, you know, with like only a week left in the season. How am I supposed to finish all these challenges? And I'm just like, well, next season it'll roll over. You'll get a bunch of challenges and you won't even have to really think about them. You'll just play the game because it's fun and you'll just knock all that stuff out. I'm also 40 out of 50 right now. So I'm like, hell yeah, man. It's not like and I'm, I'm not much of a, a gamer. You know, I'm a, a faux gamer who just happens to mm -hmm. oversee gaming publications. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean okay wait we were gonna talk about mario rabbits 
Yeah, you told me that these two games are linked, and I'm excited to find out what that I, means. <laughs> I think they're the, they're the same game. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. Um, one, I think these are two of the best games of the year. If these two games are not in my top ten, mm-hmm. the, the next two months are going to be two of the most bonkers months in the history of video games. Like, it would have to be like just <laughs> massive surprises. Which, hey, yeah. like that, that new game from one of the dudes who made Limbo is coming out, so I don't know. Oh, yeah. There's, there's one. There's one that could push it out, but I doubt it. Anyway, how they're the same. This is Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope, by the way, just to be Thank clear. You. The sequel to Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Kingdom Battle, which is an even more generic name, which really, speaking of free to play, really sounds like something I should have on my iPhone. Um, it really does. Yeah. It's, yeah, Sparks of Hope is a much better title. Not that it's great. Anyway, great game. <laughs> both great games. I don't like tactics for the most part, except for mm. the original XCOM. I was a huge fan of the original XCOM as a, a, a kid. And I think even then it was largely because my neighbor and his older brother loved it. So you you have those games in your life. You're like, this is inherently cool. I have to like it. Um, That was me and Quake. There was a there's a kid I knew these two brothers, Andre and Arthur, and uh, they loved building computers. But this was in like the early 2000s. I didn't know anyone who I didn't even know anyone who had a computer that could run games at all, much less build computers. That was like their hobby. And they showed me Quake for the first time. I lost my whole mind. I was like, I can never play this. I don't even think it looks fun, but it's so cool. Do you ever think about like how born out of time we were? Like how much cooler (laughs) we would have been if we had just been born, you know, like maybe like 10 or 15 years Later, I, I I ask this because my son, we're dressing him up as Sonic the Hedgehog for Halloween. And like, if oh, yeah. I dressed up as Sonic the Hedgehog as a kid, I would have <laughs> gotten like the most bleedy wedgie imaginable yeah. by like my own friends <laughs> who loved me. And like here he yeah. is like one, he's going to be the coolest kid on the street. But two, I looked up on Amazon. I was like, hey, you know, Sonic shoes. And I found one that had really good reviews and I scrolled down and the like, here's a photo of it or video of it is just like a college age woman in a very sexy co- Sonic costume posing and being like, gotta go fast. And it's like, what world do we live in? Like, how did, th- how is this one on Amazon? Two, uh-huh. I'm trying to find a kid's costume. And three, you know, even like six years, this would be ironic. And now it's like that, like ironic, but not ironic. You know, like just very weird. It's bizarre. You and I have a shared history of being Sega Genesis people. Yeah, also. we liked good games. That was the yeah, big we, difference between we us. We liked and, good games. I loved yeah. Vector Man too, uh, and that made me. Oh, yeah. That made me a, a pariah on the schoolyard. We were fans <laughs> of uh, EA when so EA was silly. good. <laughs> oh, I mean, did you get? Were you like, hey, you want to play General Chaos? And people like. Just like broke your glasses. Everyone else was like, the PlayStation 1 is out. What are you doing, man? <laughs> Have you even heard of Final Fantasy? My guy? I, I mean, to be fair, the PlayStation 1 only has three good games. So you weren't missing out on much. All right. Hot takes. I'm not going to take that bait. I'm not going to take that bait. Tell me about Mario Hot plus takes. Rabbids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mario plus Rabbids. Marvel Snap. <laughs> Okay, so I, I mentioned earlier that I don't like to have to think or like, you know, mm. slow, anything like that. <laughs> so tactics, not my favorite genre. Uh-huh. Card games, not my favorite genre. And yeah. in both cases, people were like, how do we make this game feel nothing like how it normally feels to play this game? How do we make it fast? Yeah. How do we make it like super clear so you're not spending time learning rules? How do we make you feel like... The smartest person in the world. Because that's what both these games do when they do them well. Mm. Is like because they are thinky True. games, 
you like come out of them and when you win being like i am literally the single smartest person to exist, <laughs> like to ever exist i think that like somehow in like the same week that happened for both genres in a way that like I, I do not think I have, well, I know for a fact I have not played a card game that felt this welcoming and mm. like immediately fun and joyful and like fast as Marvel Snap. And same thing with Mario Rabbids, which you would, I think you could like show this to younger people who are not familiar with game genres and they would like call this a shooter or something. Like it's so weird in how yeah. the free movement, the open world, everything about it, it feels to me less like a tactics game. And more like playing with action figures, trying to recreate a John Woo movie. I totally agree with you. Did, have you played Moonbreaker, that new uh, game by the Subnautica team with the no. Brandon Sanderson like overlay? Yeah, I, I, I do want to try that. It, I, I played a little bit of it. I speaking of horrifying modernization, that game is already going down a path that is like mm. a nightmare, uh, which is why I have not brought it up on the show. Yeah. But that having been said. That game literally is supposed to be like, oh, I'm playing with action figures doing like a tactical thing. They like really they have the this thing where you can paint the figures like you can go into like a figure painting Whoa. mode and like literally paint all your figures to look like however you want. There's a lot of really cool ideas in there. And, and I think at the core, it really does want to be this feeling of like we are digitizing the idea of playing a tabletop like uh, tactics game with your friends. Um, I totally agree. Like Sparks of Hope really accomplishes that in spades have you played kingdom battle by the way did you did you oh yeah play that game? Well, i mean yes one kingdom battle love it and i talk about yeah. this a, maybe a little bit on besties but what, what really blows my mind about this and i know we're going to talk about god of war in a little bit and i can talk about just the first five hours of that compared to this mm. but what blows my mind is kingdom battle is a great game they made a great mario and yeah. rabbits game a tactical yes. game mario has guns amazing how they pulled it off it, it blows my mind and Nonsense. they could have just been like hey we made it it got great reviews this is how video games always work we're gonna do more of that and it would have sold i guarantee just as well and instead they were like let's risk it baby let, let let's completely yeah. upend it let's, yes let's change massive things about <laughs> how this game feels because i think we can do better and again like credit to everyone credit to the people who have these ideas but also <laughs> I, I never say this credit to Ubisoft in just this respect in just in just this respect. Yes, yes, yes. Higher ups being like, sure, because it would have been so easy for any manager at any time to be like, do not mess with a good thing. Just like just it, make more levels. Yeah. Just, all we need. All we need is more levels. Put another character in there and you're totally good. Make a make a rabid Waluigi. Make that the box art. Just more levels with that. He has he has like it a gun done pretty fart. well. His his butt is his gun, and people are like a whole cannon. Yes, yeah, like an old like circus cannon that he loads himself into and <laughs> fires himself at the enemy. <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> wait, wait a second. <laughs> this is very good, baby. It's good. I mean, yeah, we should probably actually take this off call and start writing these down. <laughs> Mail it to yourself. We're gonna get rich. I mean, can you can you explain? Because you haven't talked about it on the show yet, right? No, no, we haven't. Okay, so do you want to explain kind of how it's different? I would love to. Yeah. So I, I guess it's worth backing up and talking about Kingdom Battle for a second. So Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Uh, I'm sure some of you out there remember the the announcement of this game with uh, the team at Ubisoft. I think it was at, a, at one of their Ubisoft like stage events forever ago. They brought Miyamoto out. They were like, we can't believe that we're able to play around in this universe. 
I, the game director was like crying because he got to like work with Miyamoto. It was like a kind of weirdly emotional thing. And then they showed the trailer and Mario had like a bunch of guns and the rabbits were bouncing all over the place. And then they introduced rabid Mario. And it was like the discrepancy between these two vibes cannot be overstated. It was an unbelievable <laughs> announcement for a video game. And I feel like, and and I, <laughs> similar to Marvel Snap, you could write it off so easily, so quickly. It's just based on that experience alone, you could be like, absolutely not. Before you even know what the genre is, it, you could just be like, I don't think yes. that's going to be for me. The thing about Kingdom Battle is it comes out, it's like an, it's essentially like, what if we made XCOM for kids is kind of like maybe the, the easiest pitch you could have for it it ends up actually i think pushing that genre into a place as you were saying of like onboarding people into the idea of tactical shooters i guess yeah for everybody i mean like that that is such a welcoming on-ramp i think to that genre and i also really historically haven't been like a huge fan of it there are a couple here and there that i've really enjoyed in the past but Every once in a while, I found myself getting into these spaces with games like XCOM where I start to play them and outside of like Fire Emblem, I should say, uh, yeah, I start yeah, to play yeah. them and they start to ramp up the difficulty in in such a way where I literally feel like I'm playing chess, but yeah. chess doesn't have stats is kind of the yeah. big thing. <laughs> Kingdom Battle, I think, manages to take the idea of like an XCOM or like these tactical movement like placement is key over everything else manages to take that idea and boil it down to its bare essentials. It was a really successful game. You would bounce from level to level. They would just introduce you to a new level with a new set of enemies. They would have a, a stupid cutscene in the middle where a rabbit would bounce off a wall and Mario would go, whoo. And then like you'd move <laughs> on to the next one. Uh, and that was like, cool and fine honestly that game rules and is also and this is not a thing that happens with other nintendo stuff uh it goes on sale like all the time so you could definitely go pick up Kingdom yeah, Battle. it's a ubisoft have, game yes you'll have a great time with it which is why you, you also are seeing a lot of writing about it because uh behind the scenes much easier to get code for a ubisoft game oh, yeah. which turns out great um uh yeah, I mean, I, I want to go back to the Mario Rabbids announce. Mm. Again, once a thing hap once it exists in the world, somehow it becomes normal, even though I think everybody still recognizes this is, this is pretty weird. Yeah. But the, the, com the comparison that I can make is, like, if Disney came out at, like, D23, and they were like, y'all, we're bringing back Mickey Mouse and Friends. We're yeah. making a new big Mickey Mouse movie. Mm -hmm. And people were like, what? And they, like, cut to, like brad bird crying or whatever he's like i gotta make mickey mouse and people are like wow that's amazing new mickey mickey mouse they're back they're back and they're like and we got we got a twist it stars the minions and they brought guns <laughs> and people are like wait what <laughs> and then they like cut to like mickey mouse like blowing a hole in a minion yeah. and he's like Bwah! and they're like yeah, yeah. This, we're just doing this now it's our most important property and and now Mickey Mouse has guns, and he loves to hang out with those goofy yellow minions. Yeah. And people are like, oh, I guess we just have to accept this. I guess this is okay. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's the wild. The thing is, and I, I, I want to make this clear, too, is that each of those things separately is incredible, right? Like, each, oh, of, each of those two things. They shouldn't have happened. You give Mario two guns. He's literally, like, he's dual-wielding pistols in that game. That's nonsensical remove the guns from the situation you put mario next to the rabbits that's also nonsensical and a little bit too much for my brain to handle you do it all together and it's almost like information overload where you're like well you might as well go the whole way you can't just stop here i guess take it even further 
I for some reason I feel like I've talked about this on the show, but I'll I'll share it anyway because maybe sure. not. I don't know. I will never forget there was an E3 that I went to for the original Titanfall. Have I told you about this? No. With Miyamoto? No. So I I I I I I've had many weird run-ins with Miyamoto uh, over the years, especially at E3. Mm. But one was I saw the demo of Titanfall, the behind closed doors demo. Yeah. And it was like six or seven people, like the tiniest thing. Hey, we're just, you know, very limited press. And I'm in the room and they're like, hey, we have to delay the the, the showing for like a, a few minutes. And then like they end up delaying it for like 15 minutes. And it's like pitch black. So you don't know what's going on. It's like, mm-hmm. that must be some technical issue. So they show the demo. It's awesome because... Titanfall is awesome. Yeah, Titanfall rips. Is the first one? The first one, yeah. yeah. It was yeah, like yeah, the yeah. first time we'd like seen what it looks like in action. Oh my god. I was like, yeah. this rules. I'm like so thrilled. And usually you like these they're like called like E3 judging demos. It ends and like right away people like rush to you as the press and like, hey, is there any questions or anything we can do for you? Mm-hmm. And it ends and like immediately everyone like runs to the out out of the room all the devs do i'm like oh what weird <laughs> like i have like a million questions but that no big deal like i have other things to go do yeah and i i leave i start to leave the room and i realize is oh we had been held up because miyamoto wanted to see the game wow so he was just had been like sitting in the back watching this presentation of titanfall and basically through his translator was like this is really interesting there's a lot for me to think about which was like the nicest praise you could possibly get. Like, I am. <laughs> oh, my God. So all the devs are, are melting down, right? Like this is the single best day of their life. And then like literally it's either that E3 or the next E3. They announced Splatoon. And it's like, oh, <laughs> because he's thinking about shooters. Right. And like I always think about that moment of, oh, there was a moment like some point in time. And it wasn't like literally this demo. But we're like. Either he came to it on his own or somebody at Nintendo was like, we do have to think about games with guns. Like, we have to think about shooters. Right. It is what the industry is. How do we do it our way? And it's wild that the two paths that they took were Splatoon, which I think is low-key one of the best franchises Nintendo has. Yeah. It's an an A-tier Nintendo franchise. Oh, without a doubt. Um, and especially in Japan, obviously. And and then this, which like st- straight up, I think Sparks of Hope, we barely even talked about it and I'm already like being hyperbolic, <laughs> is one of my favorite like Mario spinoffs ever like i just think it's absolutely like incredible how well done it is it does not feel like a nintendo game it doesn't feel like a ubisoft game (laughs) it's so weird i totally agree with you okay we should talk about like how it's actually different you know what it feels like weirdly so first of all just to circle way back to one of the first things you said about this i do feel like it's a little bit of a turn your brain off game although (laughs) Although I have these moments where I feel like I'm brilliant and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't believe I figured that out or whatever. Uh, I do find myself jumping into combat in this game a lot just to, like, kill time, which is a weird mm. thing. Like, like I'll be, like, listening. Like, it's my new podcast game, which I wasn't expecting it to be because there is, like, a story going on here and there are these, like, elaborately animated cutscenes, But tonally... <laughs> It feels like I'm watching the Mario movie already, which is yeah. wild. Minus Chris Pratt. You don't need much of this. There's a lot of story, but it's like this rabbit ate too much sausage as a baby. And now he's got the poots. And it's yeah, like, I yeah, mean, sure. It's, it's nonsense. I mean, yes. Whatever. I, I my <laughs> Chris Grant, my boss at Polygon and Vox, he's like, it's the ultimate shit post. 
Like it's, it <laughs> does feel that way, especially deciding who gets speaking lines and who doesn't like who they voice acted and who, who is not getting voice acting is unreal. It's bizarre. Mario and Luigi, to be clear, do not speak in this game. They only make noises. Classic, classic Mario and Luigi. Rabid Mario and Rabid Luigi and Rabid Peach. They are fully voice acted. They got a whole lot of things to say, dear listener. <laughs> and Rabbit Peach, Rabbit Peach rules. Rabbit Peach is, I, it's hard for me to like ever have a team without Rabbit Peach because Rabbit Peach yes. um, uh, is basically a character from Clueless who has a rocket launcher. Yes. So she rains triple rockets down on her enemies that can go over targets and when she does it she's like as if hashtag winning and it's like <laughs> what like what that's what i mean like it takes the uh, idea of like hello fellow kids and pushes it so far that it wraps back around and is hilarious again it, it truly is so i mean a decade out of date that like <laughs> I, it, it, I i i need to believe that yeah. they know what they're doing yes <laughs> oh, oh! So I, I get the you. You said like this is a turn your brain off game. Mm. So one of the big differences this time around is like movement. Oh yeah. You basically when you take on your character, you have a box or a perimeter that you can move within mm-hmm. on the battlefield, and it's like free, free movement, right? And then you have all these other things that are like basically not free, but it, you know, like in a lot of tactical games, you have so many points that you can use. Here, right. it's like you can move Mario, throw Peach like 30 <laughs> feet into the battlefield. Uh-huh. Peach like shoots people. Mario goes into oversight mode after like kicking Goomba's face in. And then like Peach like, I don't know, does whatever the hell she wants. And as the rabbits like flank everybody and, and destroy them. And it's so much that goes into one turn. Yes. Like it's amazing how often a match starts. I'm like, there's eight people here this is gonna take a while and then before that turn is even done i've like murdered everyone yeah and they like they just look utterly puzzled at how i'm pulling it off and that i guess that's what makes me feel like a a god as i play this game i feel the same way yeah it it should be noted the the free movement that we're talking about it's like not grid based even unless you're snapping yourself to the back of cover which i think is one of the big differences between this game and like every other tactical game like this i've really ever played is you're not like counting how many spaces your character needs to move in terms of a no thinking yes no thinking at all you're just moving through space the way you always have and always do when you're playing as mario and anything the only difference is he can only move so far per turn that's like really the only limitation you have and even that as you were just saying you can circumvent using the team jump which means if you have two characters who are in the same space, one of them will launch the other one into the air so they can fly. And to after wherever. you do that, you still have free roam for both those characters. Right. So it's yes. not like, oh, you did that. Now you're locked in place. It's like, nope, you can still walk around the pretty large chunk of the map as much as you want. Yes. Um, your turn yeah. stops when your characters have all fired their weapon is, I think, the, the most notable thing. Well, and then even then, I don't think it stops because you like well, you, you can't move. You, <laughs> yes, you're locked you in move. place yeah. once you fired your weapon. So you could do about a billion different things and then go find cover and then shoot your gun and then end your turn, which I think is remarkable and really fun and even in that i I know that sounds like they're being so lenient and they are for the most part and i I think it's just like like good and accessible game design or approachable game design but at the core of it they have created some 
enemies and some like boss battles in particular that are like tricky and difficult even with all of that movement uh, option uh, or all those movement options given to the player there are still instances where i'm like oh shit i really actually do have to think about this for a second yeah yeah why and i think they recognize that in a lot of these games it's all about spatial management anyway yeah so the idea of just saying like hey you always have this parameter Mm -hmm. isn't that different than like locking you into the grid system. Yeah. So it, yeah, yeah. I, I, it just feels like that they. I don't know. It feels like they figured it out in a way that now it's hard for me to imagine playing this type of game without that change. Yes. It just feels so much better and so much more joyful and fun. I mean, I'm, I, I said the, you know, it feels like playing with action figures. Even that, I, I like playing D and D, but that even gets frustrating because it is almost. I mean, it's not almost. It is like turn-based rpg right like mm-hmm. i do this this and this we're here i don't know it it feels like describing like an action movie to like a friend you're like okay so first i'm gonna go here and throw a peach and then mario's gonna double headshot and you're like yeah yeah i mean totally i mean in the same way that when i tell people about what i'm doing in this game they look at me with that same sense of irritation where it's like (laughs) i'm sure this was very cool i would rather see it than have you explain mario's uh two gun salute um (laughs) just what a game you know it's incredible yeah luigi's got a sniper rifle peach has a shotgun (laughs) oh i mean it, it probably should also bring up one of the big shifts in this game also is you have this like pretty big overworld that you can run around in with uh, a bunch of like side quests and people to meet and things to do and like a whole functioning shop of items that you can buy and cosmetic things that you can equip to make your sniper rifle look even cooler or worse for Luigi depending on your vibe. I mean the ambition of this game is leaps and bounds beyond what I was expecting and and you and I talked about this a little bit off the show but I feel like going into sparks of hope i just knew it was coming that was it like they announced it i was like oh cool they're making a sequel to kingdom battle and i just completely tuned it out and thought to myself i'll pick it up when it comes out i didn't need to know anything about it because kingdom battle again is so good that they just like bought that goodwill for me uh so i was just excited about it i i literally knew nothing about what this game was when i started it up and was so surprised at the amount of things that they have changed all for the better. There's not a single shift in this game that I was like, oh, I think Kingdom Battle did this better. I wish they hadn't changed that. All of it is better than the first game, which I think is incredible. I just have to go back to when you said bought that Goodwill and my brain pictures them <laughs> buying a Goodwill and you being like, what am I going to do with all these $2 shoes? Oh, like, man. You could, you could um, buy the whole Goodwill and you're never going to find the sweater that fits perfectly. You know, that's so true. You want to know the reason why I worked at a Goodwill? Tell me. It's because the people who work there they get first dibs. Oh so yeah. Get, oh, I was I was living in good sweaters, and <laughs> in, in comfy jeans. It was. Oh. That was me with uh. That was that was me when I worked at Blockbuster. Oh yeah. I got all I got all the free codes that came in all the all the games, which was really nice. Oh. So I would have to like un, I would have to like unwrap all the games and like load them into like the Blockbuster boxes, you know, so yeah. you could rent them. The only time this is nonsense this is a nonsense i think i might have brought this it. up on the show but maybe i didn't the only time that didn't happen a game that i really wanted because it had a thing in i forget i i wish i could remember i wish i could remember what like the inbox package code thing was but portal 2 came out and i worked the afternoon shift instead of the morning shift so i didn't get to it first the person who was working the earlier shift 
just put it out like on the shelf with whatever that in package thing was. Yeah. And the Jonas Brothers rented it and stole it from me. (laughs) The Jonas Brothers in between being famous and then Uh they're on like this little bit of a hiatus and then they came back later. Sure. Were regulars at my blockbuster for some reason. I mean, of course they were. And and they rented Portal 2 and, and took whatever that code was. Wow. Unreal. I mean, they, you know, they needed it. It's not like they could have afforded it themselves. They weren't doing anything as far as I could tell. They were just uh, hanging coasting out. Coasting on money. Coasting on residuals. Yeah, from their Disney Channel days. Oh, that must be nice. Hey, uh, speaking of um, Jonas Brothers, I'm trying to make a, a, a <laughs> transition. Speaking of Marvel Snap, I need to go... I don't know, man. We can do better. Chris, we've been talking a lot about a lot of stuff. I think we need to take a break. <laughs> And uh, That's good. catch our collective breaths and come back and talk about some uh, some more video games. How does that sound to you? That sounds great. I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. Hello to you. Hello. <laughs> we're, we're back. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. How many matches of Marvel Snap did you fit into that break? Uh, like five. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear it. Even playing a new release which I think might shake up the order of events in terms of how we're all feeling. <laughs> the DC universe? Yeah, re- just regarding shake up. the year in okay. video games. Mm. I mean, <laughs> was, was there a question? <laughs> I was, sorry, I was trying to lead into whatever you were trying to talk about. <laughs> well, no, I knew you, you were shaking up. I didn't know if you were going to shake up the DC universe like Black Adam, but no, I, you're right. I've been playing, speaking of big bulky men, I've been playing God of War ragnarok Mm. and there's like a pretty hefty embargo on it but i can talk about the first i don't know like four to six hours and no story spoilers so anybody who's listening this you don't have to worry but i don't want to talk too much about it because one we talked about on arrestees that people can listen to probably by the time this is out and and two i'm i'm much more curious about like what is this year because it's weird to me that, like, <laughs> God of War is the big game of the fall, right? Mm. And then, like, I guess Modern Warfare 2? Yeah. But it, it feels, it just feels like a weird year. You know, four or five years ago, you would have fall and you'd have, yeah, like a Pokemon game like we're getting this year in Modern Warfare. But then you'd have, you know, maybe two or three Ubisoft games. EA would have, like, a bunch of stuff. You would have one or two Sony exclusives and one or two Microsoft things. And yeah, and this year feels weird. Those, like, those games kind of exist. We have, you know, Bayonetta 3 and Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope. And while I I love Sparks of Hope, I haven't played Bayonetta yet. Yeah. Neither of those games feel like, you know, they're not Zelda, right? They're not Mario. They're not even like Metroid. Um, yeah, I'm looking at, like, just look at the, the list of contenders I have for Game of the Year. Like, games that I've mm-hmm. played long enough to have an opinion on that might make the list. Obviously, they won't all make the list. But... You know, just just things that I've enjoyed enough to to say, like, maybe I'll think about that when when the time comes. Mm. There are, to be clear, 54 games on the list as of this recording, which is a lot. But <laughs> looking at that list, I'm trying like there's not a lot of real, real, real stuff that I would consider triple A on here, which is no. interesting. It's it's mostly kind of like 
smaller game a lot of indie games a lot of interesting little projects or i would say even like just double a games from studios like square enix for example who put out things like you know the octopath traveler mobile game and triangle strategy which i i don't know if we would consider that triple a or not i mean maybe but still it's a really fascinating space this year and and honestly i think i think a lot of it is like we were promised there that there were going to be a lot of games that were supposed to come out this year and then they didn't and they all got pushed to next year or there were things floating around that a lot of people just assumed would come out this year that didn't i think like breath of the wild 2 is a great example uh tears of the kingdom or tears of the kingdom but i feel like what are what are we left with outside of that you know like i i feel like at the end of the year a lot of the game of the year lists that we're gonna read if i was to guess are gonna be you know the ones that start with elden ring and the ones that don't and that's I'm I'm really interested in like what everybody's two through nine is going to be this year because it really does feel like a toss up. It really is like it could yeah. kind of be whatever. Also, not starting with Elden Ring almost feels like a protest vote <laughs> at this point. Not not because like it's it it should be guaranteed and not that I think it should be n- the number one for everyone's. Yeah, of course. Like in the world, right? But like for anything where it's like a a whole bunch of people voting collectively for like a publication or anything, I don't know. It seems like almost inevitable just because it hits so many boxes. Like for people who like, yeah, not art, but like important games, it's there. It's AAA. It Mm -hmm. like it was a cultural event. Like it just it did so many things that even though like maybe my personal number one game isn't going to be that. I don't know. It probably even still is. Like it just. (laughs) <laughs> it's one of those games that, like, you think about it and you're like, I can't believe that exists. Right. Like, it it just does so much. It's so ambitious and delivers on its ambition. And, like, I don't know, it feels like one of those games that comes around, like, once a decade, right. I guess. I totally agree. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's hard to, like, not conceptualize it. That said, like, if it hadn't come out this year... Yeah, wh- what do people's lists look like? It's you like would have been... It's a yeah. disparate like a jumble of things it's 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 really fascinating yeah and i mean i i'm i'm looking at my list that i had that's some like last updated in september mm. and it's hilarious because i mean i could like go through it because i don't think my my current list looks anything like it and it's just because my i guess my opinion has changed on some of these games yeah. like so much so much has come out just in the last like two months um yeah. that i've like made time for that it, that it that it's blown it all up but i mean yeah it it it's, I mean, it's a weird list when I have, you know, Kirby, Disney Dreamlight Valley, Stanley Parable, Sniper Elite <laughs> were on this. The Sniper like, Elite really made the list. Wow, okay. I mean, well, so th- that one level, there's, have you, yeah. did you end up playing that? I, I haven't played it yet, but I did read the piece that you had on Polygon about it. My dude. Yeah, I gotta the, do it. The weird thing is, 54 games on your list, and you didn't play the best level <laughs> of the year. That's, okay. It's wild. I'm writing it down. I'll do it right after we're done recording. <laughs> Perfect. But, but yeah, like, I don't know if any of those games that I, I said, well, Kirby will definitely be up there. But, like... <laughs> Yeah, there there are very few like sure bets for me with only a couple months left. Like Elden Ring, Citizen Sleeper, yeah, Kirby. Those are like the three that I know will be on my list at the end of the year, and then everything else on it, I don't know. I could bump it around. Yeah, but also I think it's worth mentioning, and and this is kind of I guess where God of War fits in a little bit is like what's left 
this year too like yeah. you really could start the process of just going back and playing everything that you've played this year now because at least as far as the things that i have really uh in, in terms of keeping my eye on things like we have uh in november harvestella god of war ragnarok and the new pokemon which i think like all for me have the potential of like making the list but not i don't, I don't know if all three have that potential and then in december it's like how do you feel about dead space and did you like it enough to want to play the Callista Protocol uh, and yeah. also Dragon Quest Treasures, which is like just for me and Steven? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, this, this the Need for Speed game is the first game by Criterion in like forever. Oh, so, my God. Really? Yeah, they're not I, even I talking about it. Yeah. It's same. Literally, I was in, on a uh, on a meeting the other day. And I was like kind of dismissing that game. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do like with this. Like, do we consider this for game of the year? Like, what is this game? And somebody's like, it's a Criterion game. It's like, wow, go figure. Criterion for folks who are, I guess, like under the age of 30 <laughs> used to make great games. They, they made the yeah. Burnout series. They made Burnout paradise they made need for speed the like the updated version of need for speed hot pursuit um they were i mean they were the racing team um and we wouldn't have forza horizon without basically all of the the road that they paved for real um yeah so i'm i'm definitely curious about that one i'm on their website and they don't mention that team anywhere which is such a bummer yeah I mean, that's if that was part of the marketing push, I would have it on my radar. And I like literally yeah. did not at all. I had no idea that this game was coming. I mean, wow. He, he's not always the best at these sorts of things. No. Yeah, I I, I agree. And then I, we talked about it before the show. I forget its name. The, the, the new game from half of, of the, the duo who made Limbo. Uh, yeah the, the one with the orb right yes it like kind of has like a war of the worlds vibe to it yeah i'll, I'll look it up yeah I, but i mean like there's there's stuff i mean yeah so uh, anyway before before the show when we were talking about this the question i had for you is like how will people remember this year like what yeah. will it be will it be just hey it was the year that elden ring came out or will it be oh it was the year between animal crossing and uh geez, are, is it even, the kingdom yeah right i don't know yeah. it's like the year between time has lost all meaning in, in the pandemic um yeah yeah I, I i don't know the thing that for me what i'll remember it as is like it was the year of portable gaming like mm. emulators took off in a humongous way yeah um, isn't that fascinating isn't that so like yeah. I, I thought that i i was like playing with my toy box in this like little world that i just created for myself over here and then slowly but surely i started to realize that like the youtubers that i was watching like retro game core who i always give a shout out to like yeah their youtube channels started to explode like in re like in mainstream yeah. success on youtube ways and not like me and all my little friends with our little hobby where we're like hacking our vita to play game boy games kind of ways you know it became like yeah. a real thing yeah to you're totally right about that yeah well and then and then the steam deck which yes. like uh, i hope that that is like what we look back on this year as being like my best case scenario is not that, that we look back at this as like the elden ring year but that we look back at it as oh it's when pc gaming went portable mm. because the steam deck i mean again it's it sounds like hyperbole it has fundamentally changed my life and my relationship with video games like mm. in a positive way yeah because especially you know having a kid and 
we've moved and there's just a lot going on my time is limited and um time that i spent playing a game in my office especially like a pc game is time that i don't spend on the couch with my spouse or like if i can fit in some time while my kids eating dinner right like yeah it's just it's weird because on one hand i'm playing a game and i'm not like engaging with my wife when we both on the couch together but also like we are somewhat like we're like yeah. spending time together. It feels more social. We only get so much time that is not like taking care of our kid or being in work and totally. just being next to each other is really nice. And and also it just has made me more curious about all of these games I have. I Like Steam always has been my largest back catalog. Mm. And yet it was like the thing that I played probably the least. And now it's the exact opposite. I would say that I do 95% of my games are played on steam deck my my gaming time that's so interesting yeah i was i was about to ask if there was a way that you could articulate like why are you not playing all of these games on switch like if you want to be playing like a portable system on the couch versus the steam deck but i mean the the needing to chip away through the gigantic backlog of stuff you've acquired through humble bundles and the like I, i can give you another reason that's just very practical which is my child loves the nintendo switch Oh, we are, yeah. are fortunate enough to have two in our house. Mm. V- very, you know, very fortunate in that way. Yeah. Nintendo does not care. In fact, it will punish you for this. <laughs> so, like, if you if you are using the same account on two switches, it literally checks the Internet yeah. on the second switch that's not your main account to make sure the first switch is not being used. Right. So the options I have are, OK, well, I've invested a ton of money into my switch account. I don't want to buy all these games a second time. I already own them for my child. Yeah. So we share accounts. And because of that, I effectively can only play Switch when I know, like, oh, he's at school or at night after he's asleep. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what if he wants to pick something up and I'm in the middle of something? Right. So, yeah, I mean, it really is down to the practicality of Nintendo makes it very difficult to be, a, I guess, a parent who's, like, sharing sharing the system. And, again, it's the same is true if you just had one Switch, right? Like, mm-hmm. if he was playing it, then... I can't be actively playing it. Yeah. Um, I think what, what I love about the Steam Deck so much, and th- this is a thing I've been thinking about a lot, is I keep hearing from people like you who have Steam Decks mm. who tell me why they love it and how it fits into their lives. And it's completely different from the other person who told me that and the other person mm. who told me that and the other person who told me that. I was just on um, DLC with Jeff Knott and Christian Spicer recently, and we were talking about the official Steam Deck doc because I... I got one and Steven got one. And there was this conversation about like, who is that for really? Like, why would you get that over something like just a USB-C dongle that you could plug into the top of it to do, you know, that kind of stuff or whatever. And the answer for me specifically is like, well, I don't have a PC in the first place. I'm not planning on building one really anytime soon, especially now that I have the Steam Deck. Uh, So the idea that I can have this setup that I can just plug the Steam Deck into at any moment and have it plugged directly into my computer monitor or my streaming setup or my recording setup without needing to really do anything except just plop the Steam Deck there is incredible for me and gives me access to not only all of the PC stuff, that whole catalog, but also, as you were just mentioning, all the emulation, all the retro gaming stuff. Like now, miraculously, I've gone from wondering how one day I could play, for example, like the PS2 version of Dragon Quest VIII, which I've always been curious about, to not only can I play it, I can play it handheld and I can stream it and I can record it if I want to. Yeah. Which is like miraculous. And that's my very specific use case. 
case, but everybody who I've talked to has a weird specific use case for why they yeah. love the Steam Deck so much. Well, and which is the promise of PC gaming, right? Like that's yes. PC, the PC gaming when it works is that it gives you all this choice that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. And like that, that's it. That I mean, it, it's it's as simple as that. Like you have so much choice. Again, it's like, hey, I could load two um, Steam accounts at the same time, so I wouldn't have that same problem that I just described with the Switch. But mm-hmm. the cloud saving is super easy. Yeah. And and you mentioned like, oh, I don't have a PC. I think having the the dock makes just as much sense for people who do have a PC because rarely is your best pc next to the tv in your living space right so maybe you're playing your game at your desk but there are plenty of times where i'm like the last thing i want to do is continue to sit here Mm. i can take my steam deck in and like sure maybe it doesn't look as good but also a lot of the games that we were talking about this year a lot of what's out there is not triple (laughs) a so who cares it's probably going to look just as good on your tv because the steam deck can power it right yeah I, i i agree in that I remember when it came out. I I'm 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 going to I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit. <laughs> but at polygon.com, I, mm-hmm. I I was lucky enough to handle the review and I don't get to do that very often. And I, I basically said the same things I'm saying now, you know, months earlier, which is I I just think this thing's phenomenal. I think it is fundamentally what where games should be heading and there was a lot there were a lot of people who I think got so distracted. It, well, I mean, it's a lot of like PC gaming people who got distracted by the specs mm-hmm. or like what doesn't work. And that was that to me was like the funniest shit to me when people were like, well, this part doesn't work or this part of Linux doesn't work. And it's like, my dude, have you ever used a PC for games? Like things not working is <laughs> the whole problem. It's half the battle. Yeah. Yeah. Like in and for the most part here, it does work. Like I would say I have way fewer headaches with my Steam Deck than I do an Alienware desktop PC. Yeah. And that's not anything wrong with the Alienware. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a lot easier than the past two PCs I built. But that's just the nature of just any desktop gaming PC. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, my, my hope is that we start to see just a ton of competition in this space that I, Razer gets involved that, uh, I'll be curious to see who jumps in on this space. Cause yeah. we're already seeing a couple companies here and there jump into it, right? Oh, yeah. Like, Logitech. Logitech has their, their cloud thing, which is running on Android, but, uh, Ioneo has the Ioneo air, which like is yeah. actually this, I mean, it is a windows PC. It's, it's not running Linux. Uh, it's not running Steam OS. It's just straight up running Windows. It's priced competitively, I would say. It's still like $1,000, so it's more expensive than even the highest end Steam Deck. But it is everything that the Steam Deck can do in the body of what is pretty much a Switch Lite, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And and runs things like just about as well, which is pretty cool. Ambernick has announced that they're working on one. Ambernick is is the, the retro handheld manufacturer that I shout out a lot. They make a lot of like smaller things for playing like Super Nintendo or Game Boy games on the go, but they're making something akin to the Steam Deck as well. But I do wonder like when are we going to get the official Razer competitor to the Steam Deck yeah. that also well, runs Steam OS? Yeah, and I mentioned Alienware. I mean, once yeah. Dell and Razer get involved, it's going to be wild. And I, I'm curious what what Valve does. Because on one hand, I think even they seem caught off guard with like, mm. oh, we went and made a hardware and it's like good. Successful. You know, <laughs> we, yeah, we, 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 we've failed yeah. at this so many times. Not failed, but, you know, struggled with it so many times. Yeah. Having a hit of this scale is shocking. And I think the reason that they can keep the price cheap is like, 
they're just selling you a digital storefront where they're going to make gobs and gobs and gobs of money from you. So like, whatever, keep it cheap. But once they have competition, they're going to make that money off Steam no matter what. So like, are they motivated to continue making Steam decks? Are they just priming the pump? So that other people do it and then they just make the money anyway. Like, yeah, I, I'm very they, they've said that they're, they have, you know, provisions on the way. Um, I, please, one with an OLED screen. Yeah, that's, right. That's the big one. Right. But yeah, I just <laughs> I know that we started with like, what is what is this year? But I I really hope that's it. I hope this is the year where like between that and like Game Pass now being available on like TVs and like games mm. being just on your phone pretty easily yeah um that this is we'll look back at it as oh is the point where games got out of being something that you had to like lock into your desk or your your couch for and 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 elden ring plays a piece of that right because elden ring yep. worked on the steam deck at launch and yeah. that felt like that just felt like something it, that felt huge in 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 a way that breath of the wild did when i first played it on switch yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll give a shout out to our our friend Alana Oaken, who uh, we went to Disney World together, and she brought her Steam Deck with her, and we uh, she showed me Elden Ring running on the Steam Deck, and that was that was a moment where simultaneously I had the like, aha, I know why I would want this, and and also had the like, I don't know if I'm gonna enjoy the hardware because I think it might be too bulky. I got over that so quickly. Oh, by yeah. the way, instantly. Like, even even though it's like objectively huge i mean it is a, it is a gigantic device uh, it is so comfortable to hold it doesn't matter and then it does become a thing that you can play elden ring on yeah that that's the thing is i mean I, I still love my switch i the steam deck feels better in my hands yeah i agree like it i and that was yeah again like a uh, i don't know you know what's I, funny I, though i've had this like rekindled love of playing the switch in handheld mode ever since getting the steam deck also which is funny like i i I totally agree with you i do think the steam deck does feel better in the handheld mode like on the couch or in bed or whatever but the experience of working that kind of play back into my life has made me pick up the switch more uh and things like persona 5 which is now on switch i mean it looks so amazing with the oled screen nah i was waiting for it yeah yeah yeah. uh you're right you're you're 100 right playing that in handheld mode is like amazing and now and now i have this situation where like i have the dock for the steam deck so now the steam deck actually does stay docked most of the time but i love handheld gaming again so i'm playing the switch now in handheld mode a lot so yeah i I do think i do think the steam deck has like an outsized impact on the way we'll think about the the year even even like in relation to like sorry out even removing like the games that can run on the thing i think just like it being a success in general really speaks to like where where the market wants to go hypothetically yeah yeah so i mean for you what is the year for you is it handhelds is it just elden ring is it the year that like indie had some room to breathe like all these kind of it's not even indie like just like smaller ideas just like yeah indie publishers Yeah, yeah 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 i that's really it for me, I think, um, especially looking at looking at the list of games like, yes, Elden Ring is amazing. And, and I, I, I think the best game of the year. And I, it's no small surprise, I think, to listeners, because I've said it multiple times at this point. But like, it'll be the game of the year regardless. Like, I, I don't think anything's going to trump it, unfortunately. 
Um, and fortunately, <laughs> I'm glad to have yeah. that. But, uh, but the fact that I have like 50 plus other games that are in contention for the remaining nine spots on the list, and most of them are like really interesting ideas, even like I, I'm thinking like the Yoko Taro thing, Voice of Cards, like he had yeah. two of those this year. He, he released two Voice of Cards games this year, and both of them are fascinating and are like reframing the way you think about turn-based combat in a JRPG in different ways in the same yeah. series in the same year that's the kind of stuff that's bubbling to the surface this year for me in lieu of you know things like tears of the kingdom coming out which i think is like sick i'm so, so glad that game didn't come out this year i've yeah. never been more relieved <laughs> that a game did not come out just begin yeah. for all of all of these things that you're talking about because yeah. it does that feel starfield starfield's the other big one for me where like if starfield yeah. had come out this year the idea of steven and i specifically like mm -hmm. just bethesda love and weirdos needing to pit those two games against each other even if starfield is like awful it'll be fun in a weird bethesda janky way and yeah. that's gonna make me love it all the same how are you going to talk about anything else next year when Zelda, <laughs> Starfield, and Final Fantasy 16, and maybe Dragon Quest, yes, come out in the same year? Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be. Here's the thing. It's going to be what I thought this year was going to be. Yeah. You know, going into this year, I think we all expected it to be that. We all expected it to mm -hmm. be Elden Ring and Starfield and Zelda and and whatever. You know, I, I feel like every year there's a thing like Inscription or Return of the Obra Dinn that like takes everybody by surprise or Hades that like comes out and, and is like this huge wave that nobody saw coming. The idea of something like that emerging amidst a Zelda and an Elden Ring and whatever seemed like unfathomable. And I'm glad that I get to just like play all of them normally and have the time yeah. to play all of them now i mean the idea that i'm sitting here looking at the the next month and thinking like harvestella has a good chance of coming out and shaking up my game of the year list i think is really exciting yeah well so i i, I also wonder if we will ever see a year again where the, the hades phenomenon takes place not mm. because we're not going to get more games like hades actually the opposite I think we're going to get games like that every month. <laughs> and I think this year is like the example of that. Yeah. And that if, you know, immortality had come out mm. three or four years ago, it would be having that moment. Yeah. Or if citizen sleeper had come out six years ago, I think it would have, would have like swept GDC awards and like all these totally. things. Like, yeah. Are you playing a uh, signalis? Are you playing that one? No. Should I, should I play it? Yeah. It just, it just came out today uh, at the time of this recording. Um, it's on game pass. So easy to oh, check out um, easy. on the steam deck. Did, did you put game pass on your steam deck? You should do that. If you haven't done, I that. haven't yet. Just because I feel like rad. it will like ruin my life. It's very like, good. Anyway, signalis, First of all, feels like a game made by people who are much cooler than me, which I always appreciate. Like sure, I, sure. as soon as I booted up, I was like, oh, these people, I'm sure they wear like really cool bomber jackets that I wouldn't even like know how to oh, find. Oh, yeah. But anyway, that game is so sick and is, again, like unfortunately launching amidst a hundred other games that I want to be checking out right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. I mean, how do you even time things at this point? Because also all the release dates are always going to get bumped. Like, yeah, it, running the calendar at an indie publisher must be a nightmare. Yeah. Video games, man. They're good. So that's the thing about them. They're good. I think I think at the end of the day, it all really just boils down to me and Chris Plant on the mic saying <laughs> video games are good. So I love a good hot uh, take. You know, I'm going to get canceled for this, but video <laughs> games are good. Okay. Speaking of good, just... Give me, give me the one, the the one word. Uh, God of War Ragnarok. Oh yep. yeah. Yep. You, you having fun? Yes or no? Yeah. 
Good. Yeah. Great. Here's like my elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. The first few hours mm. feel like the previous God of War and a lot of it. Like they were like, mm. you like you 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 like ice cream? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna make sure that you love ice. Like we are going to give you so much ice cream that yeah. you won't know what to do. I have a feeling that there's like something. Sony just keeps doing this with all their big budget games, where they're mm. like. Especially their sequels, where they're like, yeah, 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 it's what you what you think it is, right? And then, like, you get past whatever their embargoes are, and they're like, not. Nah. You're like, whoa, <laughs> Boy, you got me, game, dude. Baby. Yeah. They're like, they're like, you got a stain on your shirt. And I'm like, what? And I look down, yeah. and they're like, no, and I fall over. That is part of what I think of when I think of God of War 2018, though, is, is this constant magic trick of, like, mm-hmm. hey, you thought that this was one kind of game. Turns out it's, like, an open world game, and it's a little bit bigger than you think it is. And then again, you know, two thirds yeah. of the way through that game, they're like, and we're going to double the size of the map again. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, they yeah. do that just in the, and this isn't, I don't think this is even under embargo, just the opening side quest thing. They're like, are you hope you're ready? You know, you might not even want to do this side quest. The game literally stops and is like, I don't know. <laughs> like you could, there's yeah. a lot. Are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm ready. And it's like, okay. Welcome to this huge open world you can like canoe around. And there are like three side quests within it that you need to go do. And like, cool, cool, cool. And then mm-hmm. as you're doing it, you're like, hey, 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 buddy, over here. You looking for another side quest? And I'm like, not really. And they're like, no, no, you should come and check it out anyway. <laughs> and it just keeps getting bigger to the point where I was just like, I need to go. Like, thanks, guys. But I I do need to go save the world. Yeah. You know, like the end of the world is, is happening. And I, I got to go. So I, mm. I think people are going to. If the game does end up just being another 30 hours of that, I think people will be like positively thrilled. I just, I don't know. I, I, I think I can't imagine Sony published game just being more of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I so feel I the same way. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to play it. I, I really am in the mood for it. I think it's going to be great. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for that, Chris. Uh, let's take another break and then come back and talk about uh, uh, thanks for that some some other stuff. Uh, all right, no, I'll see you. See ya, <laughs> Chris. I want to tell you about a game. I've had this kind of just like lingering as a game I might talk about on the show for a long time, uh, and I'm glad I'm glad you're the one who's on the show because I think that you're going to be affected by this uh, pretty dramatically. There's a game that's out currently only on itch.io. Oh, called Slice and Dice. Uh, It is a roguelike, a dungeon crawling roguelike game that is available currently on Windows and Mac. So it doesn't run on the Steam Deck, which is killing me. I've been trying to get it to run the Steam Deck and I can't yet, uh, but I am playing on my Mac and it runs super well on the Mac. Ooh, that and you have that nice MacBook, like the M1, right? Yeah, I got I got that M1 Mac Mini, uh, which is very nice. nice. It's also available, and this is kind of the biggest one. I don't have access to this, but everybody's been telling me that's great on Android phones. Uh, so if you have Android, it's also available there. Um, mm-hmm. This game is troublingly good, and just like we were talking about in the previous segment, if it wasn't for about 400 other video games that I was also being pulled between, uh, like a piece of taffy stretching out in all directions, uh, Slice and Dice would be the game that I was talking about, I think, more than any other one. The The conceit of this game is so brilliant. You are a team of five adventurers who all have different classes. Classic shit. Warrior, mage, 
whatever, you know, uh, rogue, etc. And each of those five classes represented on the left side of the screen. And mm. you can just see uh, their face and a little box on the right side are the enemies you're fighting. Let's say it's two wolves. The two wolves, you'll see their faces and you'll see a little empty box. Everybody rolls a dice. Everybody will roll a die. Each one is correspondent to one of those characters. So the warrior has his own die on the die on all six sides. There are attack and shield. So you can either be attacking somebody or you can use the shield and you need to roll your dice, figure out, you know, okay, what did this land on? This landed on damage. It'll do one point of damage. Do I want that or do I want to re-roll that one die? And you can decide to re-roll all of the dice twice. Or you can lock in the dice. It's very Yahtzee in that way, in a weird way. Mm-mm-mm. Where you can say like, oh, I actually got a great roll on my mage. My mage is going to like power up my magic so I can then use a spell later. That's very cool. Uh, I'm going to take that and I'm going to lock that in and then re-roll everything else. Simultaneously... The villains, the enemies, are doing the same thing, uh, and they have the ability to just, like, attack whoever they want. Luckily, you can see who is going to get attacked and for how much damage as well. So you have the sight lines kind of like, I don't know, like a Final Fantasy twelve or like an MMO or like a Xenoblade, where you can see a line that's directed from the villain to who they're going to attack. Um, so, for example, if you need to defend with one of your heroes, you can keep rolling the die and hope to God that it lands on the shield so you can lock that in and say, like, I'm going to block this attack yeah. from this villain. That is like the core of the game. I know that like maybe is is hard to to grok just uh, explained via audio but what it allows for is this like halfway point between really 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 deep strategy where you know like exactly the odds of rolling the right number of damage that you need to hit this wolf for with this warrior against uh, holy shit this is actually just like rolling the dice like very you literally know what I like it, about it what not a lot of thinking about math pretty straightforward yeah you're just you're just kind of rolling the dice and giving it giving it your best shot so the thing about this game is that you're starting with this kind of like set group of heroes uh it's all the same like classic uh dungeon crawling rpg classes but over time as you continue to uh defeat enemies in like uh in in like ever more challenging dungeons uh they'll start to level up or they'll start to uh evolve into like better versions of themselves so for example like the warrior becomes a fighter uh which might have like a different set of abilities uh entirely Mm. or a different like a different die entirely you'll start to get items that will replace like you know the one of the faces of the die with uh like a powerful spell or the ability to add like poison magic to your sword or something uh so you can start to do like damage over time on some of the enemies some of the enemies they'll start to uh kind of like switch things up in such a way where like you'll have an archer who's far back so you need to defeat all the enemies in the front before you can beat the archer so the archer's just picking away at somebody the entire time uh until you can clear out all of the people in the front things like that the game i will say is kind of frenetic and i think it kind of turn your brain off in a way but it has the depth of strategy that you would want from something if you actually wanted to like really take it seriously and say like you know i i feel like you you've played enough roguelike you're you're a roguelike person in the same way i am you always know about like three quarters of the way into a run or like a couple minutes into a run it's like oh shit this is going really well i should like actually think about this and that moment when you switch from like this is the mindless thing i'm doing you know i'm playing spelunky i'm doing the mines i've done the mines a billion times but i made it to the end of the mines without taking any damage i've only increased 
my health because I found the dog on all four levels of the mines. Maybe this is going to be it. Maybe this is going to be the run. You'll have the exact same feeling yeah. in, uh, in in Slice and Dice, which how, is really, I, th- I think, the mark of a good roguelike. Like, in terms of roguelikes, how <laughs> difficult is it? Like, how long were you playing... You know, Splunky, you, you play for hours before you kind of know yeah. what the game is. Yeah. Is is it like that, or do you, are you kind of vibing with it right away? I I think as soon as I got over what was going on mechanically and visually, um, which doesn't take too long, honestly, but a, a, as soon as I was able to, like, f- fully grok how I'm supposed to progress, really, uh, and how I'm supposed <laughs> to play, the idea that I can, like you know, set some die in with my fighter and my thief and my defender and then say, like, I'm just going to reroll for my healer and my mage. That kind of strategy, once I started to engage with those systems, I started to find that the game was really breezy and I was having a lot of fun. I do feel like there is a little bit of a learning curve, but as soon as you get over it, and they tutorialize it pretty well. It should be noted, this is all by one person. Uh, It's just somebody named Tan, T-A-N-N on itch. They do a very good job of tutorializing what's going on here. It also has the benefit benefits of having kind of the more roguelikey elements of sometimes you'll just find the item that's going to make it the winning run for you every once in a while you'll find something that's just going to like unlock the strategy for you you know you'll get you'll get an artifact that will uh give somebody i don't know six more health and you know exactly which character you should equip that on and then suddenly you're flying yeah really brilliant it's a really brilliant game we really need better words to describe who makes what games and like how because you know it's wild to say yeah this has been a a banner year for indies and then like that exists which to me feels like (laughs) truly an indie game right like down to even the distribution model and it's one person and then like i mean a lot of people have asked this lately with devolver digital having the 10th anniversary of hotline miami and that company's Mm. come so far totally it's like is anything that that company makes indie like yeah, with their like, like PR machine and the goodwill of of many years of like stellar releases. Yeah. Well, and just all the money that they have up front. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, there. Yeah. There's. I don't know. On on one hand, it doesn't matter, but on the other hand, for I think it matters most to people who are these one person teams, right? Or like, is it Sock Pop Collective? Like, there are groups out there that I think kind of represent the spirit of what indie games was i don't know 10 years ago 15 years ago even right um that feels very different than like today where you know you have the game awards it's like best indie it's like oh which thing from a mega publisher is going to win Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah i i I don't know yeah it raises an interesting question i i think i think you know the question of who it matters for like it matters for i think people like you and i in the positions that we're in you know what you're doing over polygon and like what we do here on into the aether like i like to know in advance if i can like devote an entire segment of a show like this one to a project like this you know and say like you know as much as i would love to talk about all of the like big triple a stuff it's very cool to say like you know of all of that the thing that's really cutting through the noise for me is this game called slice and dice by one person on itch that's like remarkable actually now now i'm looking at their itch page it looks like somebody else did the 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 pixel art so it's two people still well now i don't mm. Now it's a double A publisher. There's one A for every person on the team. (laughs) Can't wait to play the new game from the thousand A publisher. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What's that quadruple A team? Do you know what I'm talking about? What is is that like Rockstar? (laughs) I forget forget who it was. Some some publisher recently said that they were working on a quadruple A video game. Uh, That's not the perfect dark team, is it? The the new perfect dark team? The initiative. 
Did they say that? Yes, the initiative. They're making the first ever quadruple A video game. Oh no. That's a that that Microsoft company. That seems like a mistake, especially for anything Microsoft. I mean, yeah. I I love Game Pass and I love the games they put out. <laughs> I don't think of their games as being like the most polished, you know, fancy, beautiful cinematic games in the world. Like that that, that is that is kind of Sony's space. But um, what if you threw another A on there? I think, mm, I think. Well, see, once you do that, now now my world's upside down. Anti, <laughs> anti, anti aliasing, Chris Plant. Ooh, wow! It's so smooth. It's so smooth <laughs> that you actually can't see the image anymore. It's like just Vaseline. Um, that sounds that sounds really nice. It's just an experience. Um, Shapes and colors. It's like under the. MoMA. I was gonna tell you about Resident Evil 8 and my experience with the DLC. But really, I just want to use this as a chance to talk with you about Resident Evil and Resident Evil 8. Because I know that you also love it. The DLC, or expansion, the Winter's expansion, I mean... I don't want to bring bad vibes to the show. That's not what their show is. But it was like, it, it's a big bummer for me because 8 mm. is one of my favorite games. Yeah. And I, I really like, I really do genuinely like the stories in those games. And I, I wanted to know, like, what is it like playing as this ultra powerful person? And then, like, the game is, did you ever see the movie Dreamcatcher based off the Stephen King novel Dreamcatcher? It sure did, yeah. It kind of feels like that. Like, you're trapped in, like, a mind puzzle. I don't know. It, okay. It may bum me out, but the flip side is it really did hammer home how amazing it is that we got Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 8. And like, yeah. will we ever get it that again? Like, like it did they, they must have known what they were doing. They did it two times in a row. Mm. But then I like play this DLC and it kind of reminds me of like old Resident Evil. And I'm like, wait, what? Did, wait, did they not like what yeah, t- happened? Fill me in a little bit on your on your history with Resident Evil. Like, wh- which of the ones have you connected with? Which ones have you kind of bounced off of? So, as a child, loved playing Resident Evil one at my neighbor's house, aforementioned neighbor with cool older brother. Mm-hmm. Loved playing Resident Evil one, um, uh, and by that I mean watching it. Then Resident Evil two came out, and I was counting down the days. I'm like, this is the most important thing ever. In this total narc at Babbage's told my mom that i shouldn't play it oh and it was man. like the only video game that like I, I i had mortal Kombat when i was like seven or whatever six or seven and here i am can't play resident evil 2 come on I, that guy he should he should know better um yeah never want to be that dude so I, I missed that one and then i got like right back on board the train so i missed what i uh, always felt was like the biggest one totally until I also didn't play Resident Evil 4, and to this day I have not played Resident Evil 4. Whoa! But I have played all of the rest. I've played and finished the rest of the games, but I have not played well, okay, Resident why Evil are you, 4. Why are you holding out? What's the thing? Is this like a, so many people have told you to play it that you're like, oh, no, I'll get to it one it, day? Or like, what, what's holding you back? I, I missed out on the GameCube entirely. Mm. Like it was, it was GameCube, right? Where first, yeah, it was GameCube, yeah, yeah, GameCube, and then the Wii, I, I, like that was like when I was in college, so like we just, like if we if we played the Wii, it was like Wii Sports, yeah, or, or, or something you know silly like that, multiplayer. I mean, almost exclusively multiplayer games in general in college, and yeah, and then after that, it was kind of like, well, it's old, you know, like I'm sure oh, it's no, good, Chris. but it doesn't. F- no, I, I, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it felt there's this weird thing with video games mm. and I guess a lot of media where there's an, a period between when it comes out and when it becomes like a classic. 
yeah where you can really feel its age in a unique way mm-hmm. and and it was that like every time i started playing it i was like i'm sure this is great this feels miserable like i i this feels clunky and i'm i'm not getting into it yeah and now I don't know. For a while, the VR one was going to come out, so I thought I'd play that. But then, you know, the the Facebook of it all. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's my and big thing. Then... Okay, so my my big thing for you with Resident Evil Four is they have a port of it on the Switch, which I'm I'm told is great. I tried playing it and did not like it very much, and I was Same. trying to figure out why. And the reason is truly because I played it on the Wii. And I feel like the ability to aim the Wiimote at the screen like a light gun removed my biggest frustration with the tank controls of those first four games. It it truly felt more like an action game than it did, uh, you know, like a a, a real horror game. But it had those vibes. It had a lot of the energy that I wanted. And it had that campiness that Resident Mm -hmm. Evil is so known for. But it removed the biggest hurdle for me, which is like needing to stop in place and then use the C-stick of the GameCube controller to try and Mm. aim around the screen. It was awful. I I didn't like it very much. I know a lot of people love it and connected with it. And I tried playing it again on on the Switch and didn't like it very much. And I, too, was like, maybe the VR version. And I'm hoping, I know like Meta, I I think fronted the money for it. So I imagine this won't happen if I was to guess, but I'm hoping one day that exclusivity kind of dries up and we get it on like PSVR two or something. Because what I, what I would give to be able to look at you and say, I know which version of Resident Evil 4 you should play. Here's where it's available right now. Because uh, I th- I think that you would love it knowing how much you love 7 and 8. Because it really is... Those are the three that I like. Yeah, and I know like the inspiration for it. It's also one of those games where at this point I have watched probably the entire game. Yeah. So there's also that where it's like some of the mystery is gone. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... And then the remake is coming out next year. So it's like, well, do I just wait for the remake? I think maybe. I don't know. Anyway, that that that's the relationship. <laughs> I I yeah. loved it as a kid. I was like mild on it as an adult. And then 7 and 8, I just I think are both brilliant games. I think they're like mm-hmm. brilliant in terms of kind of like what we talked about with Mario Rabbids of just like rethinking an entire formula. It seems like it couldn't be redone. Yeah. Hugely and, risky. Yeah, and and I think the direction of it, I just think that there's like a love for horror throughout it that i admire in the same way that the original games were in love with kind of b-horror of the 60s and 80s um these games feel like very into horror of i guess kind of the 80s through the 2000s yeah i'm so much evil dead influence very very much yes very heavy yeah and and yeah they they're all i don't know they're just directed so well i mean i i I don't know which one's better between seven and eight, just because I think eight is, I can't believe that they made a game about fairy tales. Like it just is <laughs> wild to me. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, one of the enemies is Pinocchio. One of them is Frankenstein. One of them is um, either the creature from the black lagoon and or the little mermaid. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. Wild. But then resident evil seven is what if we recreated the entire resident evil series in one video game? Yeah. Like, what if we took you through the beats of all of them thematically in just one game. That's why when people like trash the ending of seven, it's like, no, that has to be there because that <laughs> is the resident evil six beat. They, right. they have you, you have to finish love the journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I love it. And I, I am hoping that 
I'm glad that I'm glad that they are ending the winter story or whatever because what the DLC did help me realize is I don't want what I thought I want. I thought it I wanted mm-hmm. like oh this DLC should be like now I'm gonna play as the daughter and she has all these powers and like no Resident Evil is fundamentally at its best when it is mundane or at least when it starts mundane yeah. when you start in a house or you start you know you're going to the house in the woods or you're starting at literally your own house in Resident Evil Eight. And then in Resident Evil, you're going through the woods and then a town and it gets weirder and weirder and weirder. That's the fun of it. And to do that, yeah, you do kind of have to restart it every game or two. Otherwise, you have the problem that the series had, which is Chris Redfield becomes effectively Henry Cavill and Superman. <laughs> yeah, like, very much. I, I don't know. It's very strange. <laughs> I also weirdly um, mapped Henry Cavill to Chris Redfield. That's interesting. I that was also my. I didn't even realize until you said that out loud that that was also a, a, like a connective synapse in my brain. I wonder why, because Henry Cavill's big, but he's not. He's not that wide. No. Chris no. Redfield is like a wide, like broad a wide boy. man. Like a yeah, pro he, wrestler at this point. Like John Cena. Yeah, like a muscular thwomp. Yes. Maybe because he kind of started out like a, you know, Henry Cavill's maybe like if you divided or you, you found the average, the mean of, of the different <laughs> Chris Redfields, you would get Henry Cavill. And it would yeah. be the Henry Cavill that, like, that loads his arms to shoot them. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It would be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be right. Anyway, I yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about that more as a celebration of this series, which I think is really special. And I yeah, I just cherish any any anything in games, especially big budget games, where you can see really talented people being given the opportunity to do mm. something interesting. Totally. And the willingness to like hit reset. Because it's a thing that like I just wish we could see with something like Call of Duty. Or outside of games like I think about this all the time with The Simpsons. Like <laughs> the Simpsons doesn't need to end. They just need to let somebody completely restart. They mm. need to like literally just kick it, get some new voice actors, use the basic idea and let people get inventive with it all over again. And if it dies, it dies. Like, so be it. But it, it's better than like these like walking corpses of IP that we, we have. Languishing on the vine. Yeah. Out of curiosity, have you have you played the other stuff that's included in Resident Evil Gold? Like, have you tried like standard Resident Evil 8, but with the third person mode? Did they include like, yeah. the, the multiplayer stuff? How does that all feel? Um, fine. I mean, I, I'm glad it's there. Yeah. Um, but I was never one of those like, again, because I, I had fallen off at a certain point from the series. I never needed it to be third person for it to be Resident Evil. And yeah. I think part of the fun of the game is being in the body of the character they 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 dedicate especially in eight versus seven so much of your characterization to your hands and it's like funny you know like how much happens to ethan's hands but that is how they express what is happening in the world so pulling away from that it seems like it defeats the whole the whole idea of how they express characterization and in both the dlc and eight you can't see their faces outside of cutscenes. So if you try to turn the camera in game to see their face, they turn away from you. That's incredible. That's so funny. Yeah. Which is kind of weird because, again, for me, the reason that you play a third person game is like they are no longer a vessel, right? They are a character in the world. Yeah. So to not be able to see them, it's like, well, now I'm just looking at the back of a vessel the whole time. Yeah. Like it, it, it reduces them back to that vessel. Yeah. Especially with in the case of Ethan Winters, where like, 
he's he is this weird halfway point where like yes i'm playing this game in first person but ethan winters is like a fully realized character he's not just some mm. stand-in for the player he's a guy with voice lines and a wife and a baby yeah uh so like you you could show me his face uh it's, it's very funny yeah it's um it's weird but i mean it's it's all good i'm glad it's there i think there are gonna be people who like absolutely love it and mm. i mean any excuse to go back and play that game whether it's in third person or first person or whatever, or whatever is good oh and this was the one game that i beat on stadia so let me tell you whoa getting getting to go back and play it on a thing that's not stadia <laughs> pretty it looks pretty good i'm not gonna wow. lie it turns out there's a lot more going on visually than i uh, had thought the first time around oh yeah she's <laughs> um, great yeah oh this room is filled with dolls interesting i had no <laughs> right, idea <not> artifacts <laughs> visual artifacts i thought it was just encoding errors uh yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to going back and playing that game again i'll try it in third person see how i feel about it but resident evil 4 i played like upwards of 50 times in new game plus like over and over and oh over again gosh. on the wii it that game like once you get in the rhythm with it you just don't want to stop i found resident evil 8 was so clearly taking so much inspiration from resident evil 4 at least in like the lead up to it coming out that i was hoping that it was going to have that hook again and it kind of did i i made it through the whole game in like two sittings and then jumped into new game plus and almost finished that and didn't make it all the way through i i hear you people in the youtube comments and in the discord who want me to finish that i do want to go back and i want to finish that run but uh i might just start it over again in third person just do that uh, because that also sounds fun that's a good idea also the one big difference between uh resident evil 8 and resident evil 4 uh resident evil 8 you are a a grown-up and (laughs) you are also have a video game podcast where you talk about a lot of games and resident evil 4 i imagine <laughs> your time situation was a little like just like you know like like a, a smidge just a tiny bit different i don't know what you're implying i don't understand I, I'm, I'm just you know just a different, different time <laughs> in your life you know we've had the time no, of our yeah. lives no you're totally um, right I just, after all this time talking with you, just noticed the Kirby behind you, and night has fallen in your room, and <laughs> it's like the darkness somehow brought Kirby into the light. I don't know. Yeah. Like, the way that the shadows hit it, the only thing that's illuminated is its piercing eyes. Yeah. Um, well, we got, we got I that. Do... I mean, this is not great for audio, but uh, if, if you've ever seen a video, I guess, on our YouTube channel, the, my background never changes, but I got Kirby here, and then above me, I also have Bob, who is horrifying. Bob from Animal Crossing, wow. uh, who's very scary. Yes. Also behind me, I do want to give you a shout out, Chris Plant. You are the person yeah. who turned me on to the idea of getting an exercise bike and then just playing games on it as a means of exercise. Yeah. What a great idea that is. I mean, I I got an exercise bike that specifically has like a slot to put the Nintendo Switch on, uh, which is so good. But also at any moment, I can just turn it and then face this monitor and, and play Steam stuff. Uh, as well on the Steam Deck, which is pretty cool. It, it's it's a game changer. It really your your, your heart health will thank you for it. Is yeah. what I always tell people. Also, I don't know. It just doesn't feel that different playing a game on the bike versus not on the bike. You kind of like lock in with a lot of games. Yeah, I, that's how I played kinda, um yeah. Chrono Trigger earlier in the year. Uh, a lot of Chrono Trigger I played on the exercise bike, and I found <laughs> that I would like speed up on yeah. the bike in intense battles just subconsciously like it would just be like a moment where suddenly the apple watch would would go off and be like dude you're like really going for it what's going on i'm like oh i'm just fighting a boss (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm always amazed when people tell me they play on it because I I think most people are like, oh, it must be like shooters or something. It's like, no, Chrono Trigger for me no, was like Chrono Death Trigger. Stranding. <laughs> and I got so into Death Stranding because oh, I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm going up a hill. I don't know. Like your brain can't help but connect what you're seeing and what you're doing. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It, it, I would love some sort of science experiments being done on people's relationship <laughs> to like doing physical work while playing video games even if they're disconnected in scope because yeah i don't know it, it's it's very weird i'm glad that you have that um do you, do you have a do you have a bike game that you're playing right now nothing right now right now it, it's finally cooling down in california mm. which is to say it's like it's going from being so hot 82 degrees to like oh <laughs> at like hiking time it's like a perfect like 68 yeah but Hiking time is is great. So now I I'm getting out. You know oh, that's that's, that's my podcast yeah. time. I listen to a little um audio training for my Japanese, and oh, then nice. there's nobody on a trail, so I can like talk to myself. I probably look absolutely deranged. <laughs> no, that's great. No shame. No shame. Good way to spend an afternoon. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, cool. Any any other game stuff for you? No, that's it. That's everything I had written down. Uh. I'm feeling pretty. Did I did I not bring up anything? No, I I did take one note, which was to play that sniper elite level. So I'll do that uh, after we're done recording. I'll get back to you. Yes, the one with the castle, right? The one with you, the castle. I just want to make sure that you don't play like the first two, and you're like, I did it. And, like, what's wrong with you? You like? No, I'll, I'll make porn. I'll make sure it's the right one. Yeah. Also, turn off the X-ray, like slow motion X-ray. Turn all that stuff off. It's so mm. it, it's there for the hardcore fans who've been around forever happy yeah. for them does not improve the game in fact breaks the pace yeah it's for the people playing sparks of hope being like luigi's sniper rifle doesn't <laughs> look enough like a barrett 50 kill for me yeah it, it's <laughs> weird these rabbit skulls don't break in the way i want them to yeah <laughs> <laughs> they just explode into like a dark dust uh, i mean that said if you do want to see x-rays of testicles getting ruptured by a bullet um hey that video the game options it, there okay it, it, it's there that was I, it was literally my first shot i got that and oh i was like God. whoa that's good reminder much. to open the menu and turn it off oh that's yeah that's too much for me yep 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 chris thank you so much for joining me on this episode of into the aether thank you where can people find you what do you want to plug like what's going on what are you excited about i don't know usually at the end of these episodes we just kind of like ramble about the things that we're like looking forward to what are you looking forward to what am i looking forward to uh i'm looking forward to that need for a speed game now i mean now that we've talked about it me too weirdly um, um yeah i uh, i have a thing that i can't talk about oh. but we have a thing that we're going to be doing at polygon.com and 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 not not the not the distant future that i am so unbelievably excited about like unbelievable like i've <laughs> never been more excited about something professionally wow than i am that's this so thing. cool so that's so a big that. big 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 hype and yes when it happens i, I guess i'll go on twitter and be like hey aetherheads which is <laughs> this is what it. i call them because they're addicted to ether i guess this is it this is what i was talking about Though I think when we do it, people will know. I, th I think it will be quite, quite obvious. Um, but yeah, it's just a thing that we've been working on for a while. Honestly, we have two <laughs> that, I, that I'm like, I can't believe we that we are pulling these things off that are happening at the same time. Um, nice. And yeah, I'm just extremely excited for them. So, I mean, if there's ever been a reason to follow Polygon.com on Twitter, you should do that. You should also follow our TikTok because, my dude, our TikTok is it's great. good. It's yeah. so good. It's so it is so good. I've been enjoying it. And then yeah. And then I'm I'm at plant on Twitter and I I'm on a podcast called The Besties. Hell yeah. Which is about best friends who play 
the best video games, you know, video game podcasts. There aren't many of them, but we do have one. I will say I enjoyed your discussion about Gotham Knights. I know there was a there was a fear of Mm. it turning Mm. into a slam dunk contest. Mm -hmm. I think you handled it well. And as a person who was deeply looking forward to that game as like a big (laughs) Batman and specifically Bat Family fan, uh, I appreciated that discussion. Yeah, I it's a bummer. I I, I also I mean, did y'all talk? I can't remember if you talked about on the show. At all. No, I, I didn't even get it. Based on what I had heard and talking to other people who had code for it, I was like, maybe I should steer clear of this for a while. Yeah, I, I just feel bad, too, because I don't think it's a game that everybody should skip. Like, that's the thing that I, like, try to hammer home with that game. Yeah. Because I think there are a lot of people who like it. I think something that's really difficult for people like me, and maybe you feel the same way, is, like, mediocrity is almost the worst sin. <laughs> Like just being outright yeah. bad is like uh, often interesting <laughs> because yes. I imagine outright bad because you, you tried for something. Yeah. But what bums me out about that game is it's just like, yeah, this is a way I could burn some hours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that distinction is really important, by the way. I want to double down on that. The specific difference between a game that is like, OK, and a game that is OK, but not trying anything is a yes. huge chasm and it sounds a lot like gotham knights isn't really like going for a whole lot which is a little bit of a yeah problem. when it's sad because i have to imagine it was at some point but yeah. the game's just been in development for so long that like eventually you just have to ship I, right. I i i i look forward to reading the story about how that game was made and i feel you know just awful for working on something like that i mean i guess it's better than like working on something and just not shipping which happens a lot in the games industry true yeah. But yeah, it would be it would be tough. Um, yeah. Anyway. yeah, there are a lot of like live service trappings in that game. I think a lot of people yeah. think that that was the beginning of it. I don't think that's been confirmed like for sure, for sure. But it really does seem like it was supposed to be kind of like a Marvel's Avengers or Destiny kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't help that like the last like that um, Lord of the Rings game that WB published also. Mm-hmm. The sequel kind of had like issues at launch of like it was the like stuff. Yeah. yeah where it, like it feels like, oh, this was probably a great game that got pulled in weird directions. I did just play both of those games for the show, which They're I didn't good. bring to the show. Yeah. The first one, the first one I thought was really interesting. And I, I was really just trying to get like a Lord of the Rings fix because I was yeah. watching Rings of Power. And, you know, it was like Friday nice. and the next episode was coming out the next Friday. I was like, well, got to do something. So I downloaded that <laughs> game. Um, Really interesting. I mean, just as like, a, hey, let's yeah. just take everything that worked in Batman and throw some lord of the Rings stuff in there pretty cool yeah um anyway. and i mean the whole nemesis system is great there we go we ended on, on a positive note the nemesis system we love bring the nemesis back. system here love in the it. aether bring it back chris plant thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me always always a pleasure i'll do i'll do the classic stuff into the castle online it's our link to everything that you would ever want from us my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley i'll catch you later dear listener Bye-bye. Bye. TWG, the worst garbage, the online.